Would you stand please as Bo Bayless comes this morning to read our scripture for us. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. This is the word of the Lord from Titus 2, 11 through 3, 2. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As you're being seated, don't get too comfortable because we're going to begin this morning with a participation exercise, okay? I'm going to ask you in just a moment to raise your hands and testify. When's the last time you testified in a Baptist church? We are going to testify this morning, okay? You ready? I'm going to ask you to raise your hands and testify. How many of you would say, because of Christ... I am a completely different person than I used to be. How many of you would say that? I, heard some, I think I heard some amens accompany the hand raising. That's good. I am a completely different person than I used to be because of Jesus Christ. And I, I begin this morning by asking you to testify, and I saw lots of hands going up, because as I consider many of the attitudes and words and actions going on around us right now, I think it's so important that we remember that. We remember who we are. We remember that because of Christ, we are a completely different person than we used to be. And when from every angle, seemingly every different direction, we feel pressured, we feel tempted, we feel drawn into whatever the latest thing is, the latest conflict, the latest division, the latest frustration— we feel tempted to join in with those who are never happy, always dissatisfied, always angry about something or at someone, we would remember, because of Jesus Christ, I am not the same person that I used to be. And that we would also, and, and this little phrase is going to be our, our phrase for this week and next week as we finish this short little letter that Paul wrote to Titus, that followers of Christ should know better. And I see so many of those things around us that are always brimming and brewing that, that want to draw us in, and I see so many of us falling into those traps and being drawn in. And I say to you, but also to myself, so many times followers of Christ should know better. We do know better. We've been told, we've read, we've even been the ones leading the charge at times not being drug into some of those things, and yet it's so easy. And so these last two weeks, Titus, 
This letter that Paul wrote under the leadership of the Holy Spirit is such a great reminder, just as it was to those believers on the island of Crete to which Paul was writing, when things happen around us that are dark and evil and sinful, followers of Christ should know better. And so much of this letter is actually just reminding the people in the churches on Crete, the men and women, you'll remember, young and old, and some who were slaves, many who were slaves, reminding them what they already know, what they've already believed, what they've already been taught and probably been teaching to others, that followers of Christ should know better. And as we come back to chapter 2, I am fulfilling the promise I made last week. We're beginning with where we ended last week. We, we ended with that those last few verses of chapter 2 but I want to come back to them to begin with this morning so we can dig into them just a little bit deeper and then let them launch us just briefly to touch our toe into chapter 3 which we will then finish next week beginning at the end of chapter 2 I love the way again under the leadership of the Holy Spirit Paul writes so clearly to Titus and also the believers on the island of Crete what is at the heart of what we believe as Christians and who we are. And he says at the end of chapter 2, Titus, when everybody is getting pulled off to the left and to the right in all these directions, teach them these things. Remind them these things that are at the core, at the heart of what we believe and who we are when we say we are Christians, we are followers of Christ. And really what's at the heart of the end of chapter 2 is a proclamation of the gospel message and also a reminder of the promises that we believe in as God's people because of Jesus Christ. And, and the, the explanation that I've just given as we get back into these verses again for a moment is as Paul's talking about our salvation, our salvation in Christ is like Christ's kingdom. It's something that we experience and live in already right now. It affects our present life and situation but our salvation just like Christ's kingdom is also not yet there is a future hope to to our salvation that we've not yet experienced and that's a wonderful reminder when we find ourselves drowning in the toxicity that that we're in right now we do have something promised to us that is a future hope it's not yet that's true of the kingdom as well as Christ's kingdom continues to grow and as the message of the gospel continues to go to the ends of the earth, we see the kingdom now more clearly than any generation before us ever has because the kingdom is growing, it's progressing. And yet we can say, yes, there's a future to this kingdom where there will be no more darkness. There will be no more sin and, and no more evil. But the kingdom is also present and active around us right now we need only to join Christ in the work of his kingdom wherever we see him the same thing is true of our salvation we believe a future hope about living with the Lord forever in eternity but our, our salvation is also already it affects the way we live here and now it, it defines the people we are it's why we raise our hand and say I am no longer the same person I used to be because of Jesus Christ, because our, our salvation is not just not yet, but it's also already. And I love the first four verses 
of this last part of chapter 2 because if you were to have grown up in more of a liturgical church that uses the lectionary and the liturgical calendar you would read these first four verses every Christmas Eve they don't necessarily seem like Christmas verses but they are because where Paul begins here is with the incarnation which is simply a word that means when when God himself put on flesh and and his body had human flesh and blood and he made his dwelling among us here on the earth Paul begins here with the incarnation the birth of, of Christ which literally changed the entire direction of history in fact if you think about it we completely reoriented the entire western calendar based on the birth of christ now we say things like these dates were before christ and then these dates become the word the years of, of anno domine the year of our lord even the entire western calendar was changed by the birth of christ and these verses talk about how jesus transformed history but also there the story of our salvation where he joined our stories with his and we became his people the grace of god paul writes here is the the already of our salvation the grace of god has appeared that offers salvation to all people but i also think this verse about the incarnation and and by the way i'm so excited we're just a few weeks away from advent are you excited about that it is my favorite season in the church year i love seeing the families come up and light the candles i love each sunday just reflecting thankfully on that season in which christ was born but notice how though we will talk about verses 12 and 13 i think verse 14 connects so well with verse 11 because this is the the already of our salvation in the kingdom the grace of god has already appeared in jesus christ and when jesus christ walked on the earth he was the living grace of god for humanity to see with their own eyes and to hear his words with their own ears and to to walk on the same dust and ground that his literal human feet walked on this this idea of grace it's it's such a big theological word and sometimes it's hard to to define it and explain it we certainly all want to experience it but paul's reminding us that when jesus walked on the earth this huge concept of god's grace was living in flesh and blood it was a tangible picture of grace in jesus christ himself so that we would see in him who God is, what his character is like, but also that we would know just how much for God so loved us, the world, that his son came from heaven to earth to be with us, to make available for all people salvation for those who would believe in his name and walk in that same grace that Jesus Christ brought and verse 14 then says as, as he lived so he also died he gave himself for us and though at the time it might have seemed to some like his death was meaningless because he was innocent his death actually had deep meaning because he gave of himself willingly to redeem us for, for each and every one of us that are infected with the same disease the disease of sin Jesus gave himself for us 
to redeem us from all wickedness, from our sin, from, from all the sin that had plagued humanity. Jesus did what no other human being before him could do. Abraham couldn't do it. Moses couldn't do it. Ruth couldn't do it. Esther couldn't do it. Only Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law so that as he hung on the cross in his full righteousness, he took upon himself our sin, not his, ours, to redeem all of us from wickedness. And again, hear the already of this. This is not just so that we can go to heaven when we die, though that is a wonderful promise. But Jesus did not just give of himself so that at some point in our lives we might walk an aisle, say a prayer, check a box, and say, okay, I'm good, now I get to go to heaven. What Jesus did for us is already his salvation is working itself out in the life of the believer now to purify us to purify us as individuals but also as a people so that we might be as we read in exodus in our scripture reading earlier in worship a people who are called by his name who are set apart so that when all this darkness and messiness and ugliness is happening around us we stand out not because we are complicit in it but because we are different people than we used to be because of Jesus Christ. His name is written on us. He has purified us, and as a result, we are those, his very own people, who are eager to do what is good. Don't we need that? I love that last phrase. Don't we need people who are eager, not for self and not for all that other mess, but eager to do what is good? And who is better equipped to do that than the church, than Christ's people who sing and preach and teach and proclaim that we are his, that we are his very own? Verse 11 and verse 14 are tied together so well. And, and verse 12 goes with them because in verse 12, Paul says the wonderful present promise of this purification, that the already part of our salvation is that through the Holy Spirit, we can actually say no to all of those temptations. To the ungodliness around us, the worldly passions that, that, that wage war inside of us, we can say no. And in Christ, we can learn to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives that stand out even in this present age. We talked about the Cretans back when we were in chapter 1. It is nearly impossible to find any ancient reference to the Cretans that's positive. Everybody, even the philosopher that Paul quotes here in this letter, and, and, and others that you'll read talking about Crete back in the ancient world and even in the first century, they have nothing good to say. The Cretans are always, as Paul quoted, gluttons and liars. They can't be trusted. They're an island out in the middle of the sea filled with pirates. Others would say they're always known for, for even turning their backs on their own people and committing insurrection and sedition. You can find nothing good said about the Cretans. And yet even as Paul is writing this letter to that ancient group of people, I think we can all agree the Cretans are not the only ones who struggle with these things, with being ungodly, with wrestling with worldly passions and temptations, with struggling to live with self-control, to be upright and godly in this present age. 
But listen, hear me again. The promise of our salvation is not just that God's going to make everything right when it's all done, but that we can say no to those things now. And the already, the very present aspect of our salvation can be evident in the way we live, even in this present age. It's already, but it's also not yet. I love this quote from another ancient Christian, Cyril of Jerusalem, lived back in the 4th century. He said, Paul acknowledges with thanksgiving the first coming, the already, but also that we look for a second. So our Lord Jesus Christ comes from heaven and comes with glory at the last day to bring this world to a close. The not yet rings out in verse 13. Yes, our salvation is already, but we also wait for the not yet. For the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior when Jesus Christ returns. And as I said a moment ago, our salvation is already and not yet. It's, it's growing in our hearts and lives, but so too is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not static, but it is progressing. In a series of acts, the kingdom of God is on display in each movement in the Bible and in every generation culminating in Jesus Christ, but now still after Christ walked on the earth, after the New Testament came to a close and the age of the church was in full swing, so too the kingdom of God continues to progress. It's not static. It's not moving forward. The kingdom of God in Jesus Christ is advancing. It's advancing as a burst of light that the Bible says is overwhelming and overcoming all darkness. Until there will be a day that comes, and I hope I get an amen after this, there will be a day that comes when there will be no more darkness and all that will be left is light. Amen? The kingdom of God is advancing. We wait for the blessed hope. This world is not all there is, which also means that which we give to the kingdom, that which flows out of our salvation in service to Christ, through the church for the good of his kingdom that too will last forever it's not in vain it's not wasted even though there are times where it might feel like we don't see the fruit of our labor maybe we're not really making a difference if it flows out of our salvation and it is christ's kingdom work you better believe it will last and it matters and i love this quote not from an ancient christian but from a living christian one of the world's f foremost New Testament scholars who just also happens to be named N.T., very fortuitously, N.T. for almost like it's for New Testament, Tom Wright, who writes this about what we do for the kingdom. You are not oiling the wheels of a machine that's about to roll over a cliff. You're not restoring a great painting that's shortly going to be thrown into a fire. You're not planting roses in a garden that's about to be dug up for a building site you are, strange as it might seem, almost as hard to believe as the resurrection itself. In what you do for Christ's kingdom, you are accomplishing something that will become, in due course, part of God's new world. It will last. There is a not yet to the kingdom, just like there is a not yet 
to our salvation which means we shouldn't just say come Lord Jesus whenever things are bad and messy but the desire the longing of our heart should always be for that blessed hope of our promise in Jesus Christ that he is coming back for us again our salvation in Christ like his kingdom is both already it's it's not yet it's about what he does in our hearts and lives now it's also about his promises for the future and again Paul says to Titus these with all the mess going on around you with those Cretans these are the things you should teach these are the things you should use to encourage and correct those who are being pulled away correct those who are missing the mark teaching false things being distracted and do it with authority because you've been commissioned Titus you young pastor you've been commissioned to teach these things and don't let anyone despise you it's like what he said to Timothy don't let anyone look down on you because you're young and you might not be able to control it but if they despise you learn this move right here Titus stand firm and don't let anybody take you off the course that God has given you I do want us to just dip into the first two verses of chapter 3 as we read because one of the beautiful things about the epistle to Titus is that yes it deals with some very big theological doctrinal ideas like we just discussed but it's also very practical in that Paul says to Titus as you talk to the older men the older women the younger men the younger women those who are slaves those who are free here are some specific ways to put this into practice moving into chapter 3 he reminds Titus and us that our salvation in Christ is supposed to affect our character and our behavior and it's supposed to affect those around us for the good I'm not the same person that I used to be because of Jesus Christ that should come out in my everyday life and here Paul gets into some specific things to remind the people of what they've already heard and and here to to be subject to the rulers and authorities not only to be subject to them to place themselves under their authority but also to be obedient so as the Cretans have had this reputation for being insurrectionists seditionists let's overturn that reputation Paul is saying and and be known as good model citizens who, who do come underneath the authority that's been placed over them and who do obey the authorities. Now, you'll notice that when I began with our participation exercise at the beginning, I did not ask you to raise your hands if you're happy with all things in our government and our politics right now here in the United States. Nor did I ask you to say yes or no to that because I thought I might be blown back here on the stage by your response. If you're like me, I personally, as an American... And as a Christian, have not been happy for a while. It is messy, it's ugly, and, and people who have been able to find their place in it in the last few years, God bless you, but that hasn't been me. So how do we apply verses like this when we say, but, but does, does he mean always? We're always supposed to place ourselves completely under the authority of, of rulers. We're always supposed to be obedient. It's hard to navigate in, in times like we've been living in just as it must have been hard for the Christians in the first century, when and how do we apply this? Well, let me tell you what I, I think it can't mean. I think it can't mean that we should always live with sort of a, a blind obedience 
and always, always, always do what we're, we're told no matter what, even if it, if it contradicts with what God tells us we should do or should not do. Not even Paul lived according to that standard. Lest we forget, Paul himself was executed as an enemy of the empire because of the message he was preaching about Christ and his refusal to fall in line in every way that he was told. I don't think it, it can possibly mean we should always, always, always do everything we're told. In fact, there, there are many other examples in the Bible of people who knew that standing against what the authorities and rulers were telling them to do were the right thing, was the right thing. You might think in the Old Testament of Daniel or his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or two great examples that I love I also come from the book of Exodus. And if it's been a, a while since you read this story, if Shifra and Puah are not two of your heroes in the Bible, I hope after this morning they will be. These two women who were Hebrew midwives, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, said to them in Exodus 1, to Shifra and to Puah, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. If you see the baby is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God, and they did not do what the most powerful person in the world at the time told them to do. They did not do what Pharaoh said. They let the boys live. Sometimes it is the right thing to stand. And in every case that we feel that, it must always be because it's our obedience and faithfulness to God that's driving us, not our selfish desires, not our opinions, not our preferences, not our convenience. And we have to be willing to do this equally, whether or not we like the party or the person in charge. The, the measure here, the command, is that we would be good citizens, fulfill our civic responsibilities, and not upset the social order unless it's out of faithfulness to God. That's what so many modeled for us. So did Paul. So did many of the apostles. And another ancient Christian, Jerome, I don't usually give you this many quotes on a Sunday, but I, I just thought they were all appropriate. Another ancient Christian, Jerome, said it this way, if what the emperor leader orders is good, then follow the will of he who orders. Be a good citizen. But if it is evil, if it is contrary to God, then answer to it from the words of the book of Acts. We must obey God more than men. To me, this is a great Example explanation of what Paul is saying But he doesn't stop there He says similarly to what he said at the end of chapter 2 and just Would you please? Brothers and sisters in Christ be ready to do whatever is good Be known for doing good for being eager to do good and then fulfilling it and not For your reputation in the past not even as I can only imagine these Christians were feeling pressure because they were persecuted to perhaps respond to that severe persecution in ways that were not Christ-like. And Paul just says simply, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, just be ready to do whatever is good. Let that be your reputation. Let's turn the tables on the Cretans and say not every Cretan is like that. These ones who bear the name of Jesus Christ are different. And it's evident in the way that they live. Slander no one. 
That word is actually blasphemeo. Don't, don't blaspheme. Speak maliciously against someone else. Be a peacemaker. Be considerate and thoughtful towards others. And, and, and here, I think, is just follow the example of Christ and be gentle. Was Jesus Christ always gentle? No, there were some times when that righteous anger came up and, and his gentleness was set aside for a moment. But I think all along we can say Christ's very countercultural and certainly counter sinful nature, gentleness, love, and kindness is on display. And Paul says to those of you who call yourselves Christ's people, let that be the same for you. Followers of Christ should know better. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers. They're the ones who are called children of God. And Paul said to the Romans, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. We need more peacemakers in the world today, in our, our culture, in our city. May we be peacemakers as Christ modeled for us. He is our example and as his people, he's called us to live out that example, to be just as he was, living, breathing, walking examples of the grace of God. That when other people see us, they see his work, his salvation in our lives. I began this morning with the question, would you say, because of Christ, you are a completely different person than you used to be? If you raised your hands, I want to challenge you as I challenge myself, live it out. In your attitudes, your words, and your actions, show others that followers of Christ should and do know better. And we stand out because we know better, because Jesus is our model. For those of you maybe who didn't raise your hand, or maybe you might just say this morning, I struggle with the church because I've seen some bad examples of those who said that they represented Christ, but, but with their actions, they denied him. Or maybe you said, I struggle because in the Bible, there are some really good examples of people who live for God, but there are also some bad examples. If that's you this morning here in person watching online, can I just, set, just encourage you, set aside, if you can, the bad examples you've seen either in person or, or as you've studied in your struggles. I want to just give you one person to hold up in front of you, and it's certainly not me, and it's not the Apostle Paul, but it's Jesus Christ himself. He is the perfect example. He will not fail you. His promises are true, both already and not yet. He can be trusted. He loves you. And if we follow him as his example, we too will be his grace to others. If you've not seen some great examples of, of that grace. This morning, would you see Jesus? Would you hear his words? Would you hear his call? And would you even be willing to say, yes, my life is now no longer the same because I've given it fully to Jesus Christ? Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much today for the many different words that we've sung, we've heard, even the scriptures that we've read, but I thank you mostly for Jesus Christ himself. And Lord, I pray that he would be the example that we hold up. Lord, that it would be his name that draws people to you today. Lord, if there's anyone who doesn't know that relationship, they've never experienced that full transformation that starts in the heart 
and works itself out through the mind and through our lives that Jesus brings, Lord, would you speak so clearly to their heart today that they cannot help but to respond? For those of us who raised our hands, Lord, would you help us to remember who we are and whose we are, that we belong to you? And would you help us to cut through all the messiness around us and to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.